The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Something we haven't spoken about for a long time here on The Last Word is COVID. Uh, surprising numbers of people in hospital with COVID are present and you still get occasional reports of people coming down with the illness, even if everyone seems to have returned to living as much as normally as possible. But there's been a very interesting study done on the long COVID, long COVID impacts and particularly in relation to mental health, which may be a bit of a surprise. Now, we have two people with us. Nora Casey, the businesswoman and broadcaster, uh, is in fine fettle mentally, but has had her physical issues with long COVID, which she'll be telling us about in a moment. But Dr. Brendan O'Kelly, who is UCT Newman Fellow and Infectious Diseases Doctor at the Matter Hospital, tell us about what you have discovered after your studies into long COVID, please. Hi, Emma. Thanks for having me. Yeah, in essence, we found that there were very high levels of things like depression, anxiety and PTSD and very high levels of alcohol consumption using very well validated tools exploring these uh, different issues in our, in our uh, COVID cohort, which we've been following really since March, April 2020 when the whole pandemic uh, started in Ireland. But really around a fifth of patients are having things like depression, anxiety, PTSD, so much higher than we uh, anticipated actually. We expected more respiratory symptoms, but certainly uh, these findings were very shocking to us. Yeah, sorry, that's what I was just about to ask you. I thought we were all warned about the possibility of damage being done to lung capacity and maybe the heart and whatever by COVID. Uh, are you finding that there are significant issues there as well as in relation to psychiatric issues? We still do see symptoms of, uh, of people with death uh, complaints like breathlessness and shortness of breath. But certainly from our study, at one year we were finding things like fatigue and certainly neurocognitive issues like brain fog, which can be a general term for difficulties with concentration, poor memory, overall reduced bandwidth in people's ability to do their usual activities of daily living prior to COVID, work being a big, a significant one of those things as well. So it really has impacted people in, in, in many, many different ways. But uh, it's getting, yes, we are seeing those things much lower down the list. Uh, and these, uh, I suppose, psychiatric and, and, um, and uh, neurological symptoms are, are higher up the list at one year. How worrying is that? Hugely worrying because... Um, you know, this is obviously COVID is now we can see that is a systemic illness. It's multifactorial, and we need to uh, really put resources into this that can address all these different issues. And um, you know, things, things like getting access to psychiatry, neurology, neuropsychology were difficult before COVID, just due to uh, staffing levels and that. And uh, so, you know, they're fantastic services, but they're just under, they were under huge pressure before COVID. Uh, so we we need to add this additional uh, group of patients onto onto their services. So it's uh, this is this is very worrying for me going into the future. Have you worked out how this could have happened? It's difficult to say. So, so um, you know, our, our previous experience with viruses, things like influenza, which is a lung virus, can certainly cause ongoing symptoms of patients from a lung perspective. But and we do see post-viral uh, phenomena you know, with other you know, infections. But uh, COVID seems to have this uh, additional ability to maybe it's slightly neurotrophic. You know, it can affect ner- nervous tissue and cause uh, nervous problems. It's really not really fully elucidated as to exactly why COVID does this. There's a, a number of theories, including uh, persistence of the virus at very low levels, of um, an autoimmune phenomenon. So it's not really clear, and the research is going to take probably years to really flesh that out. Um, but but uh, I suppose looking at what we're seeing in patients, we can certainly definitively see that it's affecting multiple systems, neurological, gastro, gastroenterological, and lung, condition, and lung conditions as well. Stay on the line, please, Dr. Brendan O'Kelly. Nora Casey is with us in the studio, businesswoman and broadcaster. Is that your experience or is your long COVID experience somewhat different? Um, 
No, I recognise the anxiety, which is a very new thing for me. So I had a very mild COVID in early January. I was actually bragging about it. Um, I, apart from going to bed early, a couple of nights I worked through it. But about four or five weeks later, I had a whole pile of different symptoms. And I went to my GP. I hadn't seen her for two years. That's just kind of to emphasise I was so fit and healthy, really. And she asked me what was wrong with me. And I said, I feel like I'm jelly legs, dizzy, I nausea, terrible headaches, a um, bit of breathlessness for sure. Um, but I didn't feel right. And she took my blood pressure and it was like 200 over 120 and uh, kind of critical stroke territory, she said. But but worse over the next 24 hours, it stayed really high, even when I was at rest. And I got really much sicker. So I went into hospital for a while. And um, the main impact, I think within 24 hours, they said it's definitely post-COVID. They were calling it rather than long COVID. Just I think they were distinguishing between people who got COVID before the vaccinations and this very acute crisis kind of post-COVID syndrome. Um, they called it a metabolic crisis. Uh, it was like somebody playing ping pong. So my blood pressure was going through the roof, then down very low. And my heart was palpitating. I had problems with my brain, inflammation in my lung. Um, I also had um, a lot of nausea, these terrible neuropathic headaches. I'm in for surgery next week to get those lumps taken out of the back of my neck that started to swell up. Um, and I would say that all the time I was in hospital, I was just on a, a constant cardiac monitoring, echocardiograms, MRIs in my brain a couple of times. Um, they knew that there was COVID left in my blood, um, traces of it, and my body was persistently trying to fight it, which ended up in this bit of a metabolic crisis. I don't even know what that means to be honest. It was probably exhausting you. Your body I wasn't trying to fight off this. Every, Almost every one of my organs seemed to be impacted. Um, they were very confident that it would only be a kind of three to six month thing. Uh, so a bit different to the first version of long COVID. And they've mostly been right. I um, The one thing that nobody was too bothered about was in amongst all of the things that were shooting through the roof, like cholesterol and blood pressure and um, inflammatory markers, my blood sugars were also going up. But nobody really kind of paid too much attention to it. And then that ended up being the worst thing for me, because although I still have inflammation in my lungs and my brain and my heart have just had a cardiac MRI, so hopefully the results will be good. And as I say, I'm having surgery next week, so those things that are pressing on my brain at the moment will go, which is, will be great. But um, they discovered that the autoimmune antibodies had, <laughs> technical term, eaten all the cells in my pancreas. So I was very suddenly um, thrust into type 1 diabetes, um, insulin dependent. And that... I'd say has been the most difficult thing for me for the last few weeks. I'm, it's not well controlled. There may be cells in my pancreas that keep shooting off a little bit of insulin. So sometimes I go very high, sometimes I go very low. I go through long periods of fasting because I'm so worried about it. Um, I faint quite a lot. The first flight I took, um, I was rushing to get on the plane and I knew I could feel my legs were wobbly and I was sweating and pale and you my head your was going. blood sugars dropped too low? Yeah. And the stewardess, Erlingus woman, I thought she was amazing. She knew, she said to me, what's wrong? You look terrible and you're white. And I said, I'm type 1 diabetes. And her daughter was too. So she pulled me into the galley and fed me Cadbury chocolate. I don't think I've had sugar actually for months but um, she did exactly the right thing. Now I don't go anywhere without glucose shots. And um, and I'm the anxiety thing, the reason I recognise that is the things that didn't hugely bother me beforehand, I get hugely anxious about now and um, my brain starts going into overdrive. Sometimes 
thinking about all the terrible things that might happen if I do something um, like speaking. I mean, I speak in advance and uh, there was one day last week I had three speaking occasions and I went to bed for a couple of hours in between each one just with a mental exhaustion. Sorry, that's so unlike you. I've Very known you for over 20 years and you haven't lacked self-confidence about getting up and performing in front of an audience. It's really strange. And, I, you know, I... I shake a lot. It doesn't help that I have some diabetes. I'm shaking now and I have some diabetes symptoms like dry mouth, which enhances my feeling of anxiety. When my hands start to shake, um, it's very noticeable. I usually, I was speaking at a HSC event recently and um, I just had to say to them, I'm sorry, but I think my blood sugars are going low because every time I lifted the glass, it was, my hand was shaking so badly. Um, I've been trying very hard to do things like go on flights doing yoga again um, even though I'm worried about it the first time I did yoga I had a a hypo attack and um, I hadn't managed it well but I was really delighted that I did it last week and I took some glucose beforehand and insulin and I just managed it so that I could get through it but I am I'm much more anxious it's a really strange thing to get all of a sudden but I I have a newfound appreciation for people with anxiety. Dr. Predator Kelly how does that all sound to you? This is unfortunately what Nanor is describing there is, is, is actually typical for, for some. Uh, she has a lot of severe uh, symptoms there and, and a lot of uh, uh, difficult manifestations of, of this. But um, unfortunately, we, we, this isn't too uncommon either in, in the clinics. And just to reiterate what Nora said there at the very start, that you know she had very mild symptoms at the beginning. And what we're finding is that there doesn't seem to be much correlation between people who have mild symptoms and severe uh, symptoms and how they will do in the long run with COVID. Certainly, vaccination probably reduces your probability of developing uh, ongoing symptoms of long COVID, probably by about 60-70% in some studies, but we certainly still see patients coming into our clinic post-vaccination with persistence of symptoms uh, and having long COVID, uh, sadly. Uh, can I just say, because people on social media are always contacting me when I talk about it, um, that I had three vaccinations. You know, they often think I haven't, and that's why I developed it so badly. But I, I'm under Seamus Lenan, I'm sure you're Professor Seamus yes, Lenan, set yes. up the long COVID clinic in the Beacon. And until I connected with him, I felt I was a little out of control because people didn't know what to do because he's hugely experienced. And he says of all the symptoms I have, the diabetes link is the one that's most typical. I didn't even know that, that there was a strong link. This is actually developing diabetes for the first time or having your existing diabetes condition exacerbated. So I think what they discovered first is that people with diabetes had worse COVID experiences. And then a group of endocrinologists, I think about, 300 or so last year uh, started to work together to chart it and um, the Guardian did a brilliant write-up of it. I think they saw about 14%, just under 15% increase in the number of um, post-COVID patients developing type 2 more common than not but they had seen type 1 as well. So there's a strong link between sugar metabolism and like I sound like an expert, I'm just saying I'm not. I'm just curious. But you're learning all of yeah, these I was a nurse, so naturally I'm going to be curious about my body and try to read up on it. You know, but it is it is a very common link, I think. What about uh, Brendan? Have you seen any difference between age groups and age categories? And what about pre-existing conditions? Do they feed into the findings that you've made? In our particular study, we, we don't find that uh, the median age is 43, actually, so it's relatively young. Now, the, the broader literature tend to describe long COVID in, uh, worse in older patients with more uh, comorbidities, things like uh, heart and lung disease and liver disease, uh, particularly in those 17 older. But certainly in, in the study that we've done, um, it's, it's, uh, it's younger people, around 43 years old is, is the median age. 
So uh, it really can affect people of all ages. And we see people in their uh, teenagers, like 16 years old. Uh, I've seen uh, young nurses as well. You know, uh, so, so it really does affect uh, essentially everyone. And does there a difference between the variants as well, given that we've had different types of COVID, you could almost say, have they produced different outcomes? It's a good question. Um, it's difficult to say fully because, you know, people were getting different, you know, vaccine number one, vaccine number two in the middle of these waves as well. So um, the study that we've done probably isn't big enough to really flesh through uh, exactly what that is. But I can tell you just in, in the broad literature, even those, as I mentioned, fully vaccinated people will still get long COVID, uh, which I think really the general public needs to, to, to know about, um, especially going into uh, future, future waves and things like this. Okay, I'm going to finish with you, Nora Casey. I mean, you're going to be okay. I mean, are you confident that you will be okay, that you feel that you're making improvements all the time? Yeah, I feel so much better. Look, almost every week I feel better than the week before. I'm really looking forward to it. I'll be out of action for a couple of weeks from Monday. So I'm kind of looking forward to that, that, you know, some of the pressure I put on myself, you know, that makes me a bit... Um, I'd just like to say something, though, that um, at this stage in my journey, I've probably spent over 6000 in fees of, you know, medical fees and uh, scanning and tests. And I just really worry about the fact that we don't have any sort of facilities for people who have my kind of symptoms. Like, what if I couldn't afford to do that? In the UK, they've over 90 long COVID clinics. And, you know, we're really way behind here. You know, it, it, if you could afford to pay for it, you can get the yeah, treatment. But if you can't? That's terrible. Like, I, what I feel is that there is, must be a raft of people out there who have all of these symptoms and just are joining waiting lists. As Brendan said, there was waiting lists in these areas before. You know, it's very hard to get an endocrinologist in Ireland. You know, their lists are almost always shut. So it's a really, I think it's a big issue in terms of uh, the government taking on board the fact that they did so much and spent so much on COVID. Why are they dropping the ball on long COVID? Why are they not providing some services and facilities for people? Well, I had meant to finish with you, but Dr. Brendan O'Kelly, what do you make of that point? Are there enough services available? It's an excellent point. Yeah, there is a national plan to have about eight or nine centres around the country looking at different aspects of, of long of COVID. So there's a post-acute COVID, which is symptoms between four and 12 weeks. There'll be three or four of those centres nationally, and then there'll be uh, three or four for uh, long COVID, in essence. Uh, I think Bo, is it Beaumont, Matt, uh, Finney's, I think Vincent's Beaumont, and Galway, I think, are the three. But in, in essence, uh, yeah, what you're describing, this is a multi-systemic illness. You'll need endocrinologists, neurologists, psychiatrists. To, to, to really uh, manage these patients. And um, I do worry about uh, this going forward, that uh, yeah. this, this, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. All right. Dr. Brendan O'Kelly uh, from The Matter, thank you very much for joining us. And Nora Casey, look after yourself. Thank you. We look forward to seeing you better again soon. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.